Campbell warned me not to say certain words so certain people wouldn't scream out. Um, like good morning or something like that? Yeah, well, there we go. Okay, sorry. I accidentally said it. Hey, I'm really excited to be with you guys today. Uh, seriously excited to be with you because I have the greatest privilege uh, that anyone could ever have because I get to stand up in front of people. I get to enter into a space with people, conversations, talks, Bible studies, and I get to talk about the greatest person that has ever been, Jesus Christ. And I love that. It's so exciting to talk about him, to, to read about him in the scriptures. Uh, but I want to be honest with you, it's not always been that way for me. Uh, I've been a, a Christian for 41 years. I'm 51 years old, so I was converted at 10 years old. And it wasn't until about eight years ago that it hit for me and I fell in love with Jesus. So for 31 years of my life, 41 years of my life, I was, I was doing this kind of thing where I, I, there was some, I was following this Jesus. Um, I was doing this kind of gospel thing, preaching the gospel to myself every day, right? It, it was kind of this transactional thing. I'd, I'd wake up in the mornings and I hear, these, I hear this mantra, preach the gospel to yourself every day. And I'd wake up in the morning and this is kind of how it went for me when, I hit, when my feet hit the floor. All right, I remember I'm a sinner. I remember I'm justified by Christ and his righteousness. I'm an adopted son of God. All right, I got it. Let's, let's go for the day. All that's right, correct, and beautiful. But if we get the transaction of the gospel and miss the centerpiece of the gospel, which is a person, then we're missing something really intricate to the gospel. We may not really even understand it. And so for me, the center point of the gospel, see, I, was, I felt like so, I just knew something was missing in my life, but not really something, better said, someone was missing in my life. I was a PCA ordained pastor preaching the gospel, talking about Jesus, talking about this beautiful thing. I had a mountain of theology, but I'd missed the person. So I love talking about this because it really is at the heart of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So I, I, I want to push you this morning that, I, you know, after the, about eight years ago, what happened with me is somebody invited me to a, a one-day discipleship conference. And honestly, I probably felt like a lot of you do as you come to chapel three times a week. I, I kind of had this like, oh man, here we go again. Like I'm going to this discipleship conference. I've been in ministry a long time. It's going to be the same old, same old stuff. But then the guy who was leading the conference started talking about Jesus in ways that I'd never heard before, or at least that the Spirit hadn't awakened my heart to. He started saying stuff like, Jesus is the second Adam, the fullness of humanity. So if you want to know what it means to be fully human, you should watch Jesus. And he said, you know, Jesus spent time reading the scriptures and studying them. Jesus spent time in prayer. Jesus 
did his life through the power of the Holy Spirit. All these kind of things, and I started thinking, man, those are the very same things that I have at my disposal. The Spirit, the Word, prayer. And Jesus was using those as well. And it rocked my world, and for the first time, I felt like I came to know a person. That mountain of theology, that transactional theology, that those things that I had done for so long, I call myself a follower of Jesus, but I didn't really know him. So I began to dive into the Gospels to discover him. I started reading through a harmony of the Gospels just to see all the nuances and, and, and engrossing myself in those to know what he's like. What does he love? Why does he operate the way he, that he does? What's his compassion like? How does he interact with the people in the scenes of the Gospels? And watch the way sometimes he asks a question and then he's silent and lets it sit. Sometimes he, he, he always sees people. His eyes are always attached to his heart. I could watch the, the emotions of Jesus and learn what it means to be a healthy emotional person. All these things just began to unlock for me because I was trying to do Christian life through transaction rather than through a person. And now I've taken the gospel transaction and shoved the person of Jesus in the middle of it, and it's this beautiful transformation. There's beauty formation that starts to happen. We can't expect, if we just say the right things and do the right mantra of transaction, that change is going to occur. We fall in love with people. We don't fall in love with ideas. I was on the college campus. Uh, you girls are going to disagree with me on this. I was on the college campus at Tennessee Tech University, Cookville, Tennessee. Go Golden Eagles. No Golden Eagles in here. That's sad. Uh, uh, yeah, I was walking around on the campus. I wasn't thinking when I got on campus, I wasn't thinking, man, there's this really wonderful truth of marriage that God's designed. Like, I just, I just love the God's design of marriage. It's just such a beautiful truth. It's such a wonderful thing that he's created. I was not thinking that as a 21-year-old, a 20, 20-year-old walking on the campus. But I walked into Blockbuster Video. Do you all even know what that is? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I walked into Blockbuster Video and standing there looking at the VHS tapes and I peer over and there was this really good-looking girl there and her name was Rebecca. I ended up meeting this girl who is now my wife and she just told me on the way over here that, that tomorrow we celebrate 29 years will be the first date that we went on. Yeah, I wouldn't have remembered that. I give you that illustration because I think for a long time, here's what we have done. We've said to your generation, to my generation, to younger generations, we've said, here is truth. Fall in love with it. And we've depersonalized 
the scriptures because we've missed the person. When I'm on, uh, when I was on the college campus and I ran into my wife, I fell in love with a person. But you know what's really beautiful about it? Is that the person that's in this word, Jesus Christ, the person that's in this word is the one that I fell in love with. And now, 25 years later, marriage, I love God's truth of marriage. But I fell in love with the person is what the change was. So I want, at See Jesus, we love to take passages and just unpack them. I want you to grab your Bibles, turn to John 13. I want to give you an example of your pew Bibles. They told me to tell you not to grab your phone Bibles. Pew Bibles, turn to John 13. If you need to look off a neighbor or whatever, you can share. All right? So what I want to do is take a few minutes this morning in the brief time we have together and just unpack a passage with you and to do this interactively, right? We believe, I believe Jesus was very interactive in his teaching. In the Gospel of Matthew alone, he asked 103 questions. In the Sermon on the Mount, he asked 19 questions. So I think it was a back and forth. And this is the largest group I've done a back and forth interactive with. And I'm going to try it with you guys. So we can do this. Jesus did it with like 5,000. Surely we can do it with 700, right? We got this. All right? So look at John 13, verses 1 through 5 with me. And let me, let me set this up before we read it. Okay? Uh, let's, let's try the interactive thing. If you could be the greatest blank, what would it be? Somebody from this section. You could be the greatest chef. chef. Awesome. I love it. I love it. How about you guys? If you could be the greatest, one person from this gigantic section here. You could be the greatest musician. Thank you. How about over here? I'm going to pick on my son, uh, the greatest sprinter, right? Campbell's to be the greatest sprinter. Yeah, yeah. All right. So. We all want to be great at something. And here's what's interesting as we head into this passage, as we back our way into it, into this really interesting passage, the disciples have had this argument going on about three times we find it in the Gospels. And you know what the argument is? Who's the greatest? So they head into this as they're having this conversation. Luke 22 indicates to us, that actually they're, in, they're, they're going into this, what's called the Last Supper with Jesus. And there's a very, very clear indication that they might even at the table, with the Last Supper, Jesus is going to be hanging on a cross in 24 hours. And they are arguing about who's the greatest. We know that from seating arrangement where Judas and Peter are and all those, and John, it's really interesting. So how would you react if you're Jesus, your disciples that you've been with and they've heard you over and over, heard you say, the greatest among you shall be the last. The first shall be last. If you want to gain life, then you must lose it. All those kind of things he had told them. John 13, he's, here's, we'll see and watch and learn from Jesus how he responds. 
Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper, laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. So there's lots of things that we could pick up and notice in this passage. There's lots of different aspects of this we could, we could zoom in on. But for time's sake, what's going on in verses 4 and 5? Open question. Jesus is washing their feet. Very good. Thank you. Yeah, do you know what's interesting about that? This, this washing of feet, this is the only description we have of a foot washing in the entire ancient world. There's no other document to survive the description of a foot washing comes from the Bible, comes from John. What do you notice about the foot washing itself? Look at your passage. Look at verses 4 and 5. What do you notice about the foot washing itself? I love doing this interactively because it forces you to engage. What do you notice about verses 4 and 5? Look at the text. Jesus humbles himself. Okay, very good. Anybody else? Thank you. A slow process. Really good point. What's your name? Jonathan, thank you for that answer. Yeah, what do you know... It, Jonathan, if this were a movie, like a camera was filming this, what speed would the camera be in? Okay. It'd be a, it'd be a slow motion moment of the camera speed, right? If you think about this, look at the, look at the details of this. So look at, look at how amazing the details are here. Look at verse 4 with me. Everybody looking at your text? Or look off a friend. One, he rose from supper. Two, he laid aside his outer garments. Three, he took a towel and tied it around his waist. Four, he poured water into a basin. Five, he began to wash the disciples' feet. Six, he wiped them with a towel and wrapped them around him. Right, there's six to seven movements here that that John records for us in the Gospels that Jesus goes through. It's like, you know those movie scenes where you have this one character in the middle and like the, the camera kind of goes all the way around it and you're seeing every angle? It's like it's slow, John is slowing everything down right here. Here's what's phenomenal about this. You ready for this? John is writing these details 50 to 60 years after it happened. Just let that sit for a moment. 
50 to 60 years later, he's writing the details of this moment in this upper room when Jesus got up and washed their feet. I mean, why didn't John just say, and he washed their feet? He goes into this intricate detail of what's going on here, right? What do you remember? Like, think back just for a moment. What do you remember from your childhood that's like frame by frame detailed? I remember lots of different things in my life. Um, One of them, my son Campbell, was uh, running track in middle school. He was sprinting around the, the last turn Uh, and something popped in his hip, and he went down on the track, and he had what's called an avulsion fracture, where the muscle pulled a piece of bone off of his hip. And he goes down on the track, writhing in pain. I run out of the stands because I knew something bad had happened, and I remember I can still see it very clearly, like people around, the details of what's going on, what was happening in the moment with Campbell, all the details in the next really 24 hours, right? There's certain things that are just seared into our brains. I want you guys to know that John, in this moment, when he's in that upper room and they're sitting there arguing, having this argument about who's the greatest, Jesus stands up, takes off his outer garment, grabs a towel and ties it around his waist, goes over and gets a basin of water and pours it and then goes around and starts washing their feet. John was riveted by this moment. What we're watching here when John records this is we're watching a man that was in love. A man that saw Jesus, the Messiah, the Master, take the form of a servant. And the beauty of his person, it transformed and changed all the men in that room. Here's what's really beautiful about it. We also get a picture of Jesus loving his enemies. Because he washed one guy's feet in there that would betray him in just a few minutes later, named Judas. I always wonder if Jesus like scrubbed a little extra hard on Judas's feet. it's pretty fascinating to think man what beauty was in that room and here's here's what I want to leave you with as you think about the person of Jesus right a balanced Christology is the person and work of Jesus but we've forgotten the person so here's what I want you to think about when you encounter the person of Jesus in the scriptures you're seeing two things one what it means to be fully human So what do we learn from this moment just watching Jesus? We learn that to be part of what it means to be fully human is to lower yourself, is to humble yourself, and to give yourself away and to die to yourself and take the place of a servant. That means in the moments of conversation when you want to speak up, maybe it's time to listen. That means in the times when your friend Uh, is receiving glory and you want to be a glory thief and steal it back from them, you don't. You let the light shine on them. It means when you see a person in need, you go help, right? There's 
tons of, tons of ways that we can just watch Jesus and learn from him. Why else would he say, learn from, learn from me in a Matthew eleven twenty nine 29, if he doesn't mean it? Learn from me. Like, imitate Jesus. I want to give you that exhortation. Imitate Jesus. Go after him. Follow him. Apprentice him. Become his apprentice and watch the way you will be transformed to become a more beautiful person who learns how to love because you've watched the master of love. You've watched the way he interacts with people. Second thing you see in this, and I'll close with this, the second thing you see with Jesus is you see the Father. It says in Hebrews that he is the exact imprint of his nature. He's the radiance of the glory of God. So we see not only what it means to be fully human, but we also see what it means because Jesus is fully God. We see the beauty of his Father. Here's what I want to leave you with. That means as we're watching Jesus in this upper room, that he's not only showing us what it means to be human and to serve one another, but he's also showing us that at the center of the universe, right now, is a foot-washing God. Who loves you. And longs to be with you. Follow him. We follow a person. Fall in love with him. That's my prayer for you. Jesus, I pray for this group gathered here today. Or Jesus, could it be said of everyone right here gathered in this room? Uh, I'm, I fully believe this. That this generation could be the generation that does the same thing as what was said of the apostles, that they turned the world upside down because they encountered the greatest person who's ever been, who did the greatest work that's ever been done. And they knew him personally and individually and that this generation sitting in this room, this Covenant College class, fell in love with Jesus. And it transformed the world around them. Holy Spirit, will you do that in myself and in all those gathered here today so that your church, the bride of Christ, may be known by the way that they love because they follow the master, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen.